Here's an exclusive interview with Master Ace and Marco Polo on Take It Personal Radio. All right, everybody, we have a legend, the Juice Crew member, Master Ace. What up, Ace? What's going on? How you doing, man? I, I know you guys, you and Marco have a new album coming out, A Brooklyn Story, but there's so much we want to ask you. There's so much we want to cover. Where do we I even mean, start? Where do we start here? I mean, 88 changed everything, it seemed, for you. And, and I hope you don't mind me saying, you've had one of the greatest careers as far as longevity, but your your back nine, if if this is a golf analogy, your back nine is the greatest by far out of any any artist in hip hop. So kudos to you, my man. I've never heard that analogy before. <laughs> Super dope. I appreciate it. So I, I know we have a lot. We, we, we're in a round table right now. 360 definitely wants to fire off something real quick. Yeah, I mean, I want to kind of keep some, this in somewhat of a chronological order. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about the symphony. Uh, a lot of the members, Shantae, of course, was a little timid to get onto that track, thinking it would kind of pigeonhole a stereotype. You originally, of course, weren't on that uh, track or you weren't supposed to be. You know, we also hear the rumors right. G-Rap certainly went 130-plus bars and uh, ran the tape through. And uh, we just really want to know, can you take us behind the scenes and explain the chaos behind probably one of the best posse cuts of all time? Well, the interesting thing is I was really just there as a spectator. As far as I knew, that's why I was there, to just be a spectator. I was excited to just watch these guys do what they do. You know, I was the newest dude. I hadn't I hadn't really any records out, so I was brand new to the whole thing. I was definitely a fan of Kane from hearing um, the songs that he had done with Biz, etc. And so for me, it was just an experience of, you know, being there and seeing this, seeing this in action. When the time came for us to roll over to Marley's crib, um, only because I had another vehicle because there was a bunch of people going, um, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll take Craig over. So I did, I did the driving to get Craig over there. But when these guys started writing their parts, you know, dudes was like in the kitchen and in the living room and they were writing. And I was just sitting around waiting to hear what was going to go down. Right. And um, it was it's interesting hearing hearing um, Big Daddy Kane recount the story. There was a part that I didn't remember. Like, there's little details about that day that I, did, I didn't remember. But after hearing him recount the story, when, when, when Marley asked me to kind of go in and record first, they went to the store. And I think they kind of went to the store a little disgruntled because it's like, yo, what's he doing? Why is he putting this new dude on here or whatever? <laughs> they didn't, they just wasn't, they weren't feeling it. It was like, they hadn't even heard me rhyme yet, but they just was like, what is this? So you, you were like Molly's new guy? I mean, I was, I was the new, I was brand new, man. They, nobody knew who I was. So I think they were just kind of like, wow, you just throwing random dudes on the song. It was supposed to, because it originally was supposed to be a song with just Kane and G-Rap. Right. You know, um, because they had done a, another joint that everybody was going crazy over. And so it was supposed to be, you know, another version of that. But they went to the store, and um, when they came back, that's when they heard my vocals. Listen closely, so your attention's undivided. Many in the past have tried to do what I did. Just the way I came off then, I'm going to come off stronger and longer, even with the drum off. I'll keep on going and flowing just like a river. I got a whole lot to give, so I'm a giver. Little at a time, new trails are and according to Kane, him and G-Rap was like, yo, glasses is kind of nice. <laughs> glasses. <laughs> did you have, the, you have the puffy hat on too? No, nah, I don't know. Yeah, I did actually. All you have to do is look on the back of yeah, the Yeah, no, we're looking at it right now. Album, and, yeah. you'll, and, you'll, and you'll know exactly how I was dressed that day. So funny. That is great. Because that was the same day. So tell us, after that happened, I mean, that changed everything. There's songs that, like, you'll always be connected to, that, Crooklyn, but that that changed it for you. And then you did Take a Look Around. How long did it take you to record that album? Um, Probably, let's see. So that was, the symphony was, was 88 going into 89. And um, so... So 1990. I think my album came out in... 90. It, yeah, it came out in 90, so yeah. 
So it took about that long um, for me to for me to get it done. Was it you who actually asked Marley uh, to to use the same track? You know, when you did uh, when you did that cut off of your own album? Yeah, four minus three. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was my idea, just because everybody else got to write their verse to Symphony. I didn't get to write my verse. I I spit a verse that I just already had memorized. I it wasn't prepared for that song or for that day. Um, it was just really a verse that I had in the Rolodex. So I laid what I had, but I wanted that opportunity to kind of show what I would have done had I gotten the opportunity to write like everybody else. If you're going to pick up the microphone when the beat is moving swift, you better say something I can get with. Suckers I mold in my hand just like silly putty. You tried to shank me spanky, but my name's not McGillicuddy. Yes, yes, let's test the water. It's skinny dipping in a slaughter. So three years later... You dropped Slaughterhouse, which again was was a game changer, and you came with a click. You, you obviously you you and the INC, but you took a different route. Obviously, right. the hardcore was just kind of becoming something. Um, you're very car influence. I mean, if there's one dude who kind of really made that what it is, it was you. I mean, you were you were ahead of the game. Before me was was Sir, Sir Mixalot. I would say that Sir uh, Mixalot was okay. Posse on, Posse on Broadway even though the song wasn't really about necessarily cars but it just kind of it had that it, it influenced me so it, okay, I, I definitely got a credit so it makes a lot but your album seemed more car centric from that to sitting on Chrome it, it didn't it wasn't just like a one off thing between cars and, and sitting on Chrome or the INC ride or, or Born to Roll I mean you really took it to another level so what, what I was going to ask is what prompted you to even come up with this idea of Slaughterhouse and what really made you get into, I guess, rhyming about cars? Well, the reason I was rhyming about cars is because that's actually what I was into at that time. At the age that I was, I was in my early 20s and it was it was just, we were just all about cars and whips and rims, like that, that whole culture, that was like the thing. And so I had, I had a bunch of car books that I used to collect. I, I would get those in the mail and I was just always taking, taking, taking pictures of cars and cutting them out, taping them to the wall or whatever. These weren't even really like fancy cars. These weren't like, these weren't like luxury cars. These were like little Chevy S10 pickups that dudes freaked and, and put, put rims on and cut the roofs off. Or, you know, it was like custom stuff. And I was just into it, you know what I'm saying? And I took a trip out to LA um, in, in early 90, like like right when my first album came out. I took a trip out to LA and I went to the crew, I checked out the cruising scene out in LA and I realized that, wow, it's like a whole world out here. Like the, 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 the rims, the cars, totally different than what we're doing in New York. And all of those things, all those things had influence. And I will say this, at the time I was working on my first album, Marley was actually also working on LL Cool J's uh, Mama to Knock You Out album. And so I got to hear Booming System. I was there when he was mixing that record. And so right. all of those things played a part. Got you. Now, when that album came out, obviously it was 93. I mean, that's one of the greatest years in, in all of hip hop. In retrospect, it didn't get the, the attention or the accolades that it, that it rightfully deserved. Uh, and, that, and that's common. Between 93 and 94, every, every Tuesday, a classic album's coming out. That had to bother you. I know why I didn't get that. Why is that? Why do you think? Because The Chronic came out. The cro- so The Chronic changed everything. <laughs> the Chronic changed everything that's pretty it. much. <laughs> the Chronic shot upon my whole movement. <laughs> Jackknifed everything. I didn't know if, if you thought it was a delicious vinyl thing. Maybe they didn't. Because obviously you had a huge hit. It wasn't like you didn't have a hit for that album. But it almost kind of like, it, it became obscure by like 94, 95. You know what I'm saying? And then obviously you, you dropped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. Like there's certain albums like maybe uh, OK Stress and this that I feel like that were not only ahead of its time, but, you know, really fantastic albums that never rightfully got the the attention it deserves so um i wanted to always know how you felt about that and, and clearly now i know it's dr dre shitted on it because <laughs> he dropped the chronic <laughs> which was also a car centric album it was it was hey i have to ask you uh the me and the biz one of my favorite uh, songs from your first album and uh the video and everything 
When you when you did that, did you did you go to Biz and you're like, hey Biz, man, you're gonna dig this. Check this out. We're, we're gonna drop this next week. Or did you talk to him ahead of time? How'd that go? Biz was actually supposed to be on the song. It was supposed to be a duet, and at the time he was not. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't loving Molly at the time. They were. They were kind of having a little rough patch, and so I wrote the verse for Biz. So that he could lay his verse down, because that's how I was. That's how Kane always did it. Kane would record the verse, and then Biz would listen to it, memorize it, and then come in and spit it. So that's what I was doing. Um, but and Biz was like, "I'll do the song, but I'm not doing it at Molly's house. You got to come to my studio to do it." What was the deal with their beef? It was just because it was. It had to do with production credits. You know, they, Molly was. They felt like Molly. Him and Cool V felt like Molly was getting credit that he didn't deserve or whatever and um so that's what it was all about when when it came time to ask Biz to come do the song he's like I'll do the song but I'm not coming to Molly's crib so you gotta come do it in my studio and Molly was like absolutely not <laughs> we're gonna leave the vocals just how they are we're gonna leave you on the joint you know and I was like that's kind of like weird like why, why would you want to put you know have a song with me impersonating Biz. He's like, yo, he just like kind of like gassed me. Like, yo, it's going to be dope, watch. Listen to the master. I was new, so I was new. You, know you what trusted I mean? I, I was him. just trying to go with the flow. One, two. Microphone checker, one, two. Tell you what I'm going to do. On and on and on is how the beat goes. So sell the British walkers and cut the afros. And dance till the feeling is gone in your toes. I wear shorts in the summer timberlands when it snows. Sometimes I like the chill. Sometimes I like the mingle. Sometimes I get the fever for the flavor of a single. Sexy young Slimmy, but not too young though. That's because Jimmy minded up on death row. Now this here gem is like a special kind of song. It's not too short, but then again it's not too long. I brought somebody with me, someone you might know. He's about to wreck your body from the tip of your toe All the way up until your last hair follicle Hey, hey it's me, the diabolical Yes, y'all, yes, it's time yes. for me to fall into a funky beat To make you have a ball and like jump Make you move your rump on the floor and like pump Come on, don't be a chump I see four and maybe five Live party people, but the rest did not survive Why? They had a Why? cardiac arrest Now rocking microphones is something I do daily And making people dance like if I was out an alien People just love it when the biz starts to play with my oh, and by the way. <laughs> well, that's Marley. I mean, you whatever he says, you kind of got to do it. Hey, that was the reference. So the reference you did for biz, did, did you redo that part when you found out that was, no. that was in the beer? It was just, that uh, was it. That was it. I didn't redo it. And for those tuning in right now, listen, that's Marco Polo. He's 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 on the line as well. We're going to get to him. <laughs> People are like, who the fuck is that? That's my boy. My, I'm just getting involved. My boy Marco from the T-Dot. <laughs> hey, Jump right yeah. in. Do you call it a duet in hip-hop? I don't know. Back then, there was no rules. There's, yeah, I don't know. But it, I don't I'm, know. I'm just curious. Or because a feature. A feature. When Barry White and, and Kane got together, that was kind of like a duet. That is a duet. Yeah. That is a duet. But, when, hey, when the video, when you had the puppet... That that had to be well received by everybody. I don't right? think I don't think Ace liked that though so much. No, no, you didn't like the puppet he, idea. That was not well received. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think that's kind of what <laughs> so that's that was, kind of what got you into your next record. I mean, you you took things to a very very different level. You did not want that that image, if I'm not mistaken. You got you, you, exactly right. I was I said after you know this. Neighborhood ridicule with with this puppet and all that. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the hardest record I could possibly make. So that was only like cool the only cool <laughs> Nah, it was not a girl. So obviously everybody kind of went their own path in in the '90s. Did you have? Did you still maintain a relationship with like G and and Kane and, and everybody else from uh, the Juice Crew? I mean, yeah. At that, at the, I mean. You gotta understand something. Like the perception was that you know dudes see each other all the time, hanging out and all of that, but that's not really how it was. Like dudes, everybody loved everybody. You know, everybody was cool, but you know, if if you happen to run into somebody, dope. But we didn't always see each other. Typically, I wouldn't see anybody unless I went up to the label, and dudes would be up there. But that's the only time I would see people. You also had the cold chilling tour with Kid Capri, and you, you had like a lot of early, you know. I was just talking about that tour. Yeah, that tour was what Kid Capri, Jizza, 
Kick Capri, Granddaddy IU, yeah. a Yeah, Biz Biz was on a couple of Biz dates, was on but a not of not, dates. not many. At that time, did you keep like competitive tabs on those guys that you came up with? Well, I shouldn't say came up with because obviously Kane, Kane and G Rap were a little bit established. But like, like G Rap was doing some great things in the '90s. Kane was doing some right. good things in the '90s. Smoothed out shit. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess what I'm trying to say without putting you on the spot is, were you kind of like mm, Kane? Kane didn't bring it here, but I'm gonna do something different, and I'm, I'm gonna come with because he did like uh, how you get a record deal in '93, and then you did Slaughterhouse, two different, completely different albums, but one. Right. Heads loved, and the other ones were kind of like kind of went dark in one. Damn, and the other one was a little like, more like, commercial. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, Kane's still one of the greatest, and he came back from from those albums. But were you ever competitive with those guys? As an MC, you, I was competitive with anybody that was rhyming because I was just that, that that had to be your mentality. Like you're trying to outdo everything you hear. So it wasn't a, a it wasn't specific to Juice Crew MCs. It was just all rappers. Like I'm trying to outdo everybody if I can. But that was really the mentality. But you know, Kane had tremendous success, and so I can't say what records kind of records I would have been making if I had that level of success. Where you got all these executives coming at you and saying, you know, saying this and that, and trying to influence, and oh, you can be even bigger. You can be biggest. This one and that one, just do this record, just make you know, make this decision. You don't know until you're in the situation, so it's hard to say. Got you. So then obviously in ninety five is when you dropped Sitting on Chrome, which is your last album on, on Delicious Vinyl, right? Wasn't that on Delicious? Yep. Okay. Yep. I actually worked at the label at that time. I was at Capitol and uh, I remember I was working with Clint, who I think was your A and R at the time. You remember Clint? I, I remember Clint, but my A and R was Orlando. Orlando, right, right. I remember yeah. Clint being. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually put out the. I, we were just talking earlier. I pulled out the uh, the Chrome dusted uh, sitting on Chrome LP, the double LP. That was a limited run, man. That was uh, a real, that was a real special short. I want to say very few, very few people have that. Copies. Yeah, yeah. And li- listen to this. So Dre and I are sitting here talking. This is Aaron Wade. And uh, Dre's like, "Yeah, hey, I was working at the label. I sent those out. I'm like, no shit, I have that in he my house. College he radio. sent that to me in yeah. college radio. That was funny. Yeah, and funny story is wow. Roger, the announcer here. Uh, Dre was kind of bragging to Aaron about having that record, and then Aaron was like, oh, I have that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> you sent it to me. Hey, my dick shrunk real quick. But anyway, I know it was a short run. <laughs> it was great. That was a good moment. Only a handful of those got pressed. Take it easy. Cause I be letting niggas know what time it is when it comes to me. You can't find it here anywhere, and I tear. You a new asshole. It's beautiful. Let's go. Look at your reflection in my shine. Fine. Pissy hallways are always on my mind, but not tonight. I'm sitting on crinoline, making more waves than my cellular fit on. You had a hiatus after that for about six years. Um, you didn't come out until J-Core. Shout out to Abby with. One of the most incredible. I don't want to. Is it a comeback album? If you've been away for six years, because you, technically you you haven't yeah, been away, but it was. I want to say it's a comeback album. <laughs> I mean, that was without sounding like you know cliche. That was one of the best, if not the best, comeback albums I, I've ever heard. And that's probably, to me at least, your, your best work because it was so personal and and I think it was unexpected to the fans. No one really knew that that this was going to happen and you made music that resonated and impacted so many people so i want you to talk about that 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 whole experience but phenomenal fucking record from start to finish thank you for me that record was going to be my swan song album that was that was my way of going out of leaving the game alone like i'm going to go out on this note right here and it was my first time getting to make a complete record without any influence from record executives or people in suits sitting in office rooms telling me what kind of records to record. And so I just wanted to be 100%. I wanted to have um, I wanted to have say so on every beat, every verse, every chorus, every skit. And so fortunately for me, I had partners, uh, Filthy Rich and DJ Rob, who who sat back and, and allowed me to make, you know, the record I wanted to make. And that record, as much as I thought it was going to be my last go, um, it wound up 
really extending my career on going on man going on 18 years now yeah I mean listen I recall that album very well I still listen to it often these days this is Kevlar by the way thanks Ace and uh, Marco for your time guys I just got back from the school of disposable arts to be honest with you (laughs) (laughs) I just walked in the studio like 15 minutes ago Fresh off of some therapy, good shit. <laughs> anyway, um, this is supposed to be a therapy, Kev. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but but it's funny you say that because you wrap up that album with the song "No Regrets," and I remember when I first heard that album, and right. then that was the last song. I'm like, wow, is this is this it? Is this uh, is this your way of saying your kind of retirement speech? Because that's really how that song came off. Like like, listen, man, I, I have no regrets for anything I did. And um and then I was shocked when you know "Long Hot Summer" came out, and then you just kept it rolling. So. I guess at the time you really thought that that was going to be your last LP, huh? That was that was where my head was, um, and really by virtue of J Corp folding right after Disposable Arts came out, it, it was it was them going out of business unexpectedly a month after the album dropped. Is what made me say, "Well, this album didn't get like I was just mad because the album didn't get its its fair shake," and so I was like, "I got to do another album just to." make people aware that that album exists and that's why I have the storylines on Disposable and Long Hot Summer connected so that people would hear Long Hot Summer and go oh there's another there's more to the story let me hear that and the whole Long Hot Summer was completely constructed to make people go back and listen to Disposable Arts and hard to make a record a prequel you know what I'm trying to say it's like you made such an amazing piece of art and then you actually made the next record which was supposed to be the record before the record that Star you made. Star Wars. That, you didn't yeah, fuck it crazy. up like George Lucas. Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You also had one of the most, like, it was so funny if you think about Acknowledge because it was an amazing diss song, but yet you got to carry guilt. Like, you kill these dudes for, like, a misunderstanding, and I don't think their careers have been right since. I don't even think Eon raps anymore. He does not. He just wilds out. Of <laughs> <laughs> like wilds out. Of yeah, out of business yeah, or misunderstand it. <laughs> I don't know what you cast was thinking. Pay homage, respect. Must have been crazy. Now step up on stage at CMJ. Mention my name. I hear these cats, but I ain't listening. A little faint dissing, a little scratch, a little paint missing. But I still gleam and glisten, hot like a stream of pissing. I'm about to have your whole team wishing that you never got this shit started. You about to be dearly departed. You gotta be nearly retarded to let me hear my name mentioned. Trying to gain attention, now I'm running through this game lynching. And I heard a few cats trying to take shots on the low. These XFL rappers trying to fuck with a real pro. One thing, who named y'all the high and the mighty? To me, y'all just sound like a couple of high whiteys. You had to be on mad coke and ecstasy to think for a second you could stand next to me. Look, don't ever again mention my name in your freestyles, or I'll cut off your transmission faster than Lee Miles. And I heard your album. This must be something you knew at, cause I'd rather hear a little Wayne, little Zane duet. My cell phone stay ringing like a slap in the ear. So I hope y'all don't plan on making rap a career. Cause ever since head was in Vernon, I've been burning. Next year, y'all be up at Raucous, interning. And I should've let it known what your government names are. To make sure you take it personal like Gangstar, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't my fault. They should blame Cage. <laughs> the best, yo. The best part of that shit is Fappy's just putting out our new album. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's so many bangers that, and you have Paul Barman. Like that was before I think people really knew Paul when he was fucking with, with Prince Paul and he did that little EP. Paul was like, he added such an element, uh, such a comedic element to the album that it it was again yeah. from start to finish. It was a it was a great album and and it was so entertaining. Jumping Jehoshaphat, you know what I'm saying? Like- Ace was a skit-heavy guy. Not <laughs> yeah. not a lot of people did it right. You know, you always did it right. I appreciate it, man. It was that was that was the fun part of making those records. Of course. I want to rewind just a quick bit because obviously we skipped over one of the most important records that you you were on, and that's Crooklyn, that the original Crooklyn. Uh, you Buckshot and, and and Special Ed and, and produced by Tip. Explain to the people that do right. not know how did that record come about? How were you picked? Uh, the involvement, all that good stuff behind the scenes, because again, a phenomenal record and clearly one of the greatest historic, one of the greatest soundtrack songs of all time, mm-hmm. up there with Juice by uh, by Rakim. 
Honestly, I just got I got a phone call from from Q-Tip saying, "Yo, we're doing this record for Spike Lee's movie. Do you want to be on it?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" It was it was as simple as that. Like he he called me, he's like, "You want to be on it?" And I was like, "Yes." We we actually met at um, Special Ed Studio Dollar Cab Lab on Utica Avenue in Brooklyn, and he played us the beat, and we all listened to it and was like, "Okay, cool." We all took a copy home and wrote our rhymes. We came back to the studio um, to record our rhyme. Everybody recorded their parts. And then Spike came and listened to it. And he was like, this is cool, but it really should... You, you guys should see the movie first and then and then, and then re rethink it. Because we were, just, we were just spitting bars about, you know, being dope rappers. Like, you know, typical freestyle bars. But just the sample in there, the feel. I mean, if you felt it before you even saw the movie. Right, well, that's because Spike set up a private screening of the movie for us. We watched it. We watched the whole movie. This was like a couple months before it even hit the theaters. And then he's like, now nah, you, you, you got the feel of the movie. It takes place, you know, in the 70s. Now go back and, you know, write your rhymes based on that. And we went back and wrote whole, all of us went back and wrote completely different verses. Great advice. We be doing it up Brooklyn style. What does it take to get you out? But wait, I know you want to enter, but I can't let you in. My mind stays the maddest. I'm gone with the wind. Because it is survival of the fittest. When the shit hits the fan, I got my shank in my hand. Black man with the permanent tan. I come from the villa, never ran. Damn. Ace, moving forward a few years. You got together with uh, Words and Strick, EMC. Um, Strick, my buddy, yep. Milwaukee. Hometown buddy. Um, how did that come about? Well, when Disposable dropped, I went on tour and I went to Europe and I took with me uh, Strickland, Punching Words, DJ AV, um, DJ JF, DJ for Punching Words. But from that from that tour that we did in 2001, we just started to build a rapport and a relationship. After that album. After that run, every time I went on tour, because I kept going back to Europe for more for more dates over the over the course of the next like two three years, and every time I went on tour, I would take one of those guys or two of those guys out with me because I'd already gotten to know them, you know, on the road. I knew their personalities, and so I knew that it was dudes that number one they were already familiar with my show. So they would know the ad-libs or what parts was going to come. Also, they were featured on songs on the albums, so they could always add some bars to the show. So I found myself going out on the road with those guys here and there throughout the next probably three, four, five years. Mostly Strickland, but sometimes he couldn't come because of work. So words would come or punch would come. And uh, that's how the chemistry started to, uh, to form. Developed, and that's what led to EMC. You formed a label for that album, right? Yeah, well, we formed the label when Disposable dropped. It, um, it was M3, so we everything we put out after Disposable, everything was on M3. In 2012, you dropped the MF Doom collaboration, if you will. Is that is that what we would call it? Uh, where you had your beats, and, and by the way, uh, side note, God's Gift is like the best Jean Grey song of all time. I, I would love for you to like maybe do more of her. I mean, you guys had such great chemistry and. and that was a fucking ill fucking beat with the with the ghost sample. Uh, obviously, you have Marco now to, to produce beats for you, but do you ever want to like go back and dabble and produce for other people? I mean, sure. I mean, as long as the idea makes sense and it's dope, I'm always open and down to do stuff. Um, I try not to keep any doors closed. I, I keep my mind open to all possibilities. Um, right now, obviously working with Marco. My last album was also a one producer album for Kick Beats. And I've kinda I'm kinda digging the whole one producer thing because it's actually a, a little bit easier than um you know having to sort through a, a million different beats from a million different producers to try to figure out how to put it put together an album. So I've actually enjoyed this as a as a new and different thing experience for me. I've enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I mean, working with just one producer, of course, makes it a little more cohesive. But out of all the producers that you've used through the years, whether it was Molly, Mr. C, Unique, Lord Digga, and also, of course, Marco on the phone, which which one kind of understood you the most and like best got, I guess, your ideas? Marco's on the phone. No, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you know, <laughs> you know whether or not. You know nah, what I'm man. saying. Earmuffs, Marco. Earmuffs. <laughs> well, all good. Marco Marco gets me because we toured together. We he he's he's worked with me before. Um and so I told him, yo, all that hard boom bap stuff is cool. I'm 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 with all that. I like the hard drums, but you gotta come with some you gotta come with some emotional records. You gotta come with some some samples, some loops, some feels that are that that that, that has some some stuff that has some emotion to it, and most of his joints, you know, in the past, the Rusty Jugs, the Double Barrel, Sky Zoo, all those kind of records, all that stuff is like stuff that you want to like take out a baseball bat and hit somebody yeah. in the head with. Head through the window, Torre, fucking head slam. Yeah, <laughs> love it. But this weightlifting new, music, this new track, you feel though, man. I mean, th- those pianos. I mean, I I I think it's off that Pad Thai. Uh, you know, drum kit that you put out, but shit, dude, it's 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 beyond, man. I, I just loved it the, the, the day I heard it. Bedstock, Flatbush, Brownsville, Crown Heights, where the music feels good and it sounds right. Summertime, music in the park. We can do this in the dark. We don't even need no street lights. We bright. Look how we all shine. We all trying to live, so we all grind. And then we started saying Crooklyn. Had everybody thinking it was all crime Shouted out to Spike Lee And the dude on the corner in the white tee And the girl off the block with the attitude Had to write a song, show my gratitude Now that's a track, man. Listen to that. Thank you. 11 years ago is when you guys first worked together on Nostalgia. And uh, here we are today. You guys are putting out your album, A Brooklyn Story. Why did you guys decide to go like the Dutch route with, with the name? Confusing motherfuckers. They're like, is that Brooklyn? I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I answering that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. By all means, you step in, man. It's a game of double Dutch. Go ahead. Okay. So that was so that was Ace. Ace came up with the with the album title, and he pitched the idea to me of calling Brooklyn the original Dutch spelling, which until that moment in time, I did not know existed. At all, I didn't know Brooklyn had an original name and it was named after a Dutch city because Dutch settlers came. That was all new to me. And my first reaction was, that word looks funny. Nobody's going to know what that means. Not a single um, person. I thought it was the way Search said Brooklyn in like the Cactus album, you know, like that Yiddish style. <laughs> Bro- Brooklyn, Brooklyn, you know. I think I'll stay in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was a little, I was unsure, but... Uh, after sitting with it and just him, Ace explaining to me why, you know, because Ace gets so much love in Europe and we're always going over there to do shows and they really hold us down in terms of like touring. It just made sense to kind of show some love. And also because the album tells my story, you know, uh, it's the first album where the skits and the storyline isn't really an Ace related thing. He came up with this whole concept of a Brooklyn story telling my story as a producer coming from Toronto to Brooklyn, which in a bigger picture is universal for the whole just how many people move to New York to try and do their thing, um, you know, and me specifically ending up in Brooklyn. So, you know, it just all kind of connected after sitting with the idea and, you know, props to Ace for coming up with the illness. Now I'm loving it. I look at the title, I'm like, that's super dope. And it's different too, you know, I think, I think it adds a little bit of coolness to it. Marco, what's your production style? I mean, do you like to do all of the music first and then turn it over to Ace? Or do you guys collaborate and kind of create as you go? Do you get his vocals? Do you then redo the song? I mean, what's your kind of production style? Well, for this album, I don't think I've ever made a beat with Ace in the studio, like sit here and I'm going to make a beat and we'll do it together. Like that's never happened. For this album, it was more about me going into a certain zone and thinking about, you know, meeting, kind of like meeting in the middle of our styles where it's still the hard drums that I do, but, you know, really it was just making more melodic shit, you know what I'm saying? Because 
and emotional stuff like Ace is talking about and stuff that he could really, you know, it just made that would make sense for him. You know what I'm saying? And, and it was, I love a challenge and, and I was definitely in a hardcore zone for a while doing all the stuff when I was on duck down. So it was actually an opportunity for me to show my versatility and get back to kind of the type of beats I had on my Port Authority record. Um, so I basically just went into his zone and, and just made a bunch of beats that I thought made sense and sent them to Ace. And along the way, he would just be like, that's a keeper, that's not a keeper, that's a keeper, stash this, stash this one, until we had basically enough material to start recording. You guys, uh, again, kind of rehash what we said, but the chemistry you guys have together is amazing. I, and I am I know your work. I'm familiar with shit with Torre, Superstition, Styles, Afro. But you, you and Ace are special. You know, you're like uh, Billy Ho and, and what was uh, Wesley Snipes' uh, name in, in White Man Can't Jump? I'm in the fucking zone. They're pissed off. I'm in the zone. Billy, this is not about black and white. This is about money. This is about green. You got that? When did you when did you guys first meet? And when did you realize you had something special together? So Marco used to work in the cutting room, which is a studio in New York City. Okay. And uh, we didn't know each other. I was there uh, recording... Um, some stuff with my man Fat Philly out um, from Croatia and um, it was actually I think it was my song Beautiful that I was recording and this skinny white kid walked up to me and was like what's up I do beats <laughs> um, and can I, can I give you a CD and I was like alright cool he gave me the CD I went home and I actually listened to it back in those days like I was still you know actively listening for stuff, looking for stuff, always searching to try to find that diamond in the rough. So I went home and listened to him. And most of the stuff I was getting back then was not really that dope. I immediately, when I heard it, I heard um, a talent from a drum programming standpoint that I wasn't hearing with a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes would send me, send me or give me BCDs and they would have, you know, really pretty, pretty good samples, pretty good loops and stuff, but the drums were terrible. And, Dudes didn't have good drum sounds or didn't know how to program drums. And so the drums, for, for MC, that, you know, the drums come first. Them drums gotta, gotta, gotta grab you. And his drums grabbed me. And from that moment, I, we stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, the result is what you've been hearing. This now, Nostalgia was one of the early, early beat CDs he gave me. Nostalgia was on there. The song Do It Man featuring uh, Big Noid, which is on my, um, which is on my Long Hot Summer album is on there was on that CD so there was a there's actually a beat that's on this new album that's from that original CD how crazy is that wow shit yup 15 years old at least which, which track is that so we could listen out for that uh you and I yup before you came here you were in Toronto did you ever work with like Thrust or Cardinal Chocolaires like Socrates any of those cats um, at, at the time when I first started I didn't I mean I have worked with Cardi and Sox now okay but before I moved to New York I was working with some real uh, independent cats um, I didn't really have a lot of credits under my belt so once I moved to New York is when the discography really started gotcha. Marco what was your breakthrough uh, nostalgia, yeah. nostalgia, hundred percent. When I put out Port Authority and Rockets had a comeback and signed, you know me, you know Soul Spasm Rockets put out my record. Um, that was that was my introduction. I had done the whole album with Pumpkinhead, rest in peace, called Orange Moon Over Brooklyn before Port Authority, um, and it's a dope record. But I don't think people started really paying attention to my name, so I dropped Port Authority. And then the video for Nostalgia kind of put it over the top. Um, and that was a, a busy time for me. And then I started messing with all the duck down dudes. But Undisputed Nostalgia is, is, was the one. It's a shame Pumpkinhead died. So, I mean, that dude was just, I mean, he's a legend. Just how, What was the experience like working with a guy like that? I mean, I was a fan of him before I even moved. I had the Dynamic 12-inch. and Oh, well, great. I remember reading in an interview with him about him working on a solo album called Orange Moon Over Brooklyn. And, you know, I just kind of was like a side note. I was like, oh, that's a dope title. I'm going to look out for that. And then when we met, I gave him some beats and we started working. And um, he's like, yo, we got to do an album. I was working at the cutting room. So we were getting good studio time for free and on, you know, a million dollar SSLs. And um, 
come time to think of the album title, I was like, what happened to Orange and Over Brooklyn? And, and we ran with that title. But he was, you know, he was really dope to work with. Um, he was really the first MC that gave me a chance to produce a full record top to bottom. So I will always be grateful to him for that. And uh, it was a great experience. Um, and yeah, and it's, it is unfortunate. Like, it's crazy. I still haven't really processed the fact that he, you know, that he's gone. So I always got love for that dude. In a few weeks, you guys drop the new album with Brooklyn Story. It has some heavy, heavy hitters on it. We don't need to sell it by, by the guest spots, but um, tell us why this album was so good. The connection that me and Mark will have, you know, creatively is something interesting and special. I feel like this is some of Marco's best work. I feel like fans are going to really get to know him because we're telling his story. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. The fact that um, his parents actually play, play roles on the album um, and are on the album is a great thing. Um, it's really telling his story, man. And the music that we put together is going to definitely blow people away when they hear it. I, I look forward to seeing people's reactions when this stuff comes out. Would you say this is your best produced album, Marco? It's up there, man. I'm excited for people to hear it basically because as a producer, you know, a lot of the times you get trapped in a, you know, people will see you for doing one thing, like a one-trick pony, like, oh, that's Marco. He does hardcore boom bap. That's, that's his thing. And, you know, the, the chance to work with Ace had pushed me to do um, some other type of things production-wise, which I've always done. It's just people are going to pick a certain beat for me. They come to see me for a certain thing. So I'm most excited for people to see that the, the capabilities I have and the versatility I have as a producer is, you know, is whatever needs to be done, I could do it and I could do it well. So um, I'm most excited for people to hear the different colors and, and vibes you know, on these beats where it gives you, you know, some classic Marco and some newer Marco and, you know, just, it's interesting. We talk, you know, it's always mentioned with Ace that he doesn't get the, the props he deserves, which I, I, I 100% agree with. Um, you know, he's one of my favorites of all time. And I kind of feel the same way about my career. So I think it's the energy of two people just trying to kill it. You know what I'm saying? Coming together and, and show that, you know, put us together and, and it's going to be a bit of a problem. Um, and I'm excited, man. Excited. Marco, when are you going to retire that blue NPC XL? Probably never, man. You're just going to wait till that shit just dies and, and no longer has the lights on? And Well, I, <laughs> that's, that's the second one. The, the first, I have my first NPC in the closet that got the tire mark on it. You still got, like, still you got, fingerprints. Oh, pictures you got fingerprints for days on that bitch. I don't think you've cleaned it. And Dude, you turn that God thing knows. upside down, there will be like 28 cigarettes You know what? I actually cleaned it. it. I cleaned it last week. It's looking pretty clean right now. <laughs> All right, yeah, because I was about part, to say, like, I still have yeah. my, my 60, and I'm like, that's just pristine, but shit, man, you have put that thing through the ringer. Yeah, I treat my equipment like shit. I'm not gonna lie, it's just not a good thing. But uh, that's what happens when you make some mean ass beats. It still gets the shit out of it. Marco Roger, just a quick question for you: Would you say that you threw it against the wall on this one? <laughs> it definitely got through against the wall a few times. I don't know. It kind of got pretty though. But it kind of, you know, this 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 album with Ace is definitely like you know more melodic. There's Ace a beauty the, in Ace it. Ace had the illest description of of how to describe my beats. Well, we were in the park, Ace. What the hell did you say? Usually my beats got like Timberland boots and hoodies. And, and then this time around, it's like Timberlands, but also wearing a pretty dress, and, you know, dolled up with some makeup. Or I probably butchered it, but you know what I'm saying? It's like that, that mix. I don't remember what I said, but it was funny at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Marco, you're a cat guy, right? Not, I'm not a cat guy. Uh, I mean, I love my cat because no, so, she acts like a dog. I'm just saying, like... I, being married, dude, I don't have the time to put in the hours that you guys do to make music anymore. I mean, I still do right. it. People who just have cats, they could literally just, I don't know, fucking work constantly <laughs> around the clock. And I'm chasing... That's the weirdest correlation I'm just cha I'm chasing no time, dude. This shit went right no, Marco, do, weird. Marco, you understand what I'm saying by that? No, you call him Mark Marin. You don't have so many responsibilities that tie you to be like... How do you know? <laughs> How do you know? He have he could have six kids. Marco, he could be, I, he producer, could be Sean motherfucking Kemp with 12 kids. You don't know that. Producer to producer. like, Do you understand where I'm coming from with that question? 
Just say no, yes. just absolutely. Say- yeah, no, because no, that used to be you. <laughs> having a cat, having a cat is very low maintenance, and uh, it's definitely not like having a dog having to run out two, three times a day. I know Ace got a dog, so I'm sure there's a lot of walks involved, but I don't have to do none of that. So, yeah, and I don't have any kids, as far as I'm aware. So I definitely have more time than a lot of people do to just do exactly what I want to do, which for the most part is, is work on beats. Well, if you guys keep touring Europe, you may have a few kids that you don't know about. <laughs> it's bound to fucking happen. Ace, you still coaching? Nah, my last season coaching was 2012. Oh, damn. Where have I been? So, 2012 was my last season. I got to ask this, and we kind of briefly talked about this uh, off the air a while ago, but for the listeners out there, how did you become an Eagles fan? Oh, when I was a kid, um, the Giants were terrible. Well, they still are, so nothing, and, like, nothing really changed. Now. <laughs> well, I'm saying they had, they got, they got good at some point. But when I was a kid, like they would, they were terrible. Their games were terrible, and they just weren't anybody to root for. And I really, I always hated the, the Dallas Cowboys. So um, I would root for any team. Amen. That 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 gave the Cowboys a hard time, and so the Eagles were among the teams that that I rooted for. I rooted for them. I rooted for the Rams. Um, I rooted for the Vikings, a um, couple other teams, but ultimately in 1980, when the Cow- when the Eagles beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game to go to that that Super Bowl, that was when I decided that I yeah yep that was they lost to the Raiders, but that was when I decided to stick with them as as my as my team. Um, before that, it was a, it was a few different teams. But you hung in there. I mean, you you didn't get rewarded until last year, but. You went through the fucking Fred Barnett years, the Calvin uh, Williams years, or uh, Fred Barnett was one of my yeah Barnett was one of my favorite players um, back then, man. And, and, and Ricky Water, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have a running back since like since like Herschel Walker, I think. Uh, Herschel Walker, and then of course we had Westbrook and, and you mean the McCoy. one that was on The Apprentice? Ricky Waters yeah. was cold. Ricky Water, yeah, but Ricky Waters I think was better on the West Coast when he was like 49ers, 49ers or yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's pretty good with. But uh, you know, obviously from Philly, I mean, it's a huge, uh, huge thing to see a. Someone like you, uh, an Eagles fan. I know you were huge in Madden too. So, did you always play with the the Eagles then? Always, always, always. Cunningham always. was I, a beast. I, I didn't even feel right playing with another team. And then my homeboy went to the Eagles. Who's that? Walter Thurman. <laughs> Walter Thurman had like a, a pit stop at the Eagles. Yeah, though. but he could have st- he could have stayed. He just decided he wanted to retire to become a filmmaker. Where were you when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? Is that a, like a, a day you? I was in my remember? basement. You're in your basement. I was in my basement. What, were you yeah, by I was yourself? In my basement. It was. It was. I was by myself. I was. First of all, let me just say, I didn't watch one game the entire season leading up to the Super Bowl. Are you traveling? I didn't watch one regular season game. One no. I was, I was boycotting. Oh. I didn't watch one game. I didn't watch one game. One playoff game. Nothing. And so, I had this. I had this idea in my head because I'm. I'm kind of superstitious when it comes to my sports, especially my team. And so the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, I was on a flight from Canada to New York, and I missed the entire game. Like I was when I was boarding, I watched like the first two series of the first quarter, and then I had to board this flight. And when I landed, my goal was to try to make it home because I had the game on record, make it home, and just kind of like watch it from where I last saw it. At. But what happened was the damn pilot. Announced the, the the score of the game when we landed, which pissed me off. So I, I wanted not, I wanted missing the whole that whole Super Bowl. Watched the whole season, missed the Super Bowl. So in my in my weird superstitious reverse jinx theory, I said, well, I, I I missed the whole season. I should watch the Super Bowl, and then maybe they'll win. Because if I if if I if, it, it was just, in my mind. It was the, it was the, it was the right thing to do in, in some stupid weird way, but it worked, right? So yeah, it worked. Yeah, man. I, I'll, a day I'll never forget. Superstitions in sports, man, go hand in hand. You uh, you guys have yeah. a lot of stuff, obviously on deck. You have the album coming out. You're going to be touring, Marco. You got a you got a production crew. I heard formulating. What's that about? 
Um, it's just me coming together with two of my close homies, my boy Shallow from Toronto, who taught me how to make beats, and then my other boy, DJ Skiz, who's a very dope producer, uh, originally okay. from Boston, but now lives in Brooklyn. Yep. Um, the three of us have started a production crew called The Drum Majors, and uh, I'm excited. It's just basically working with people I've been working with, but now making it official, and really getting back to the, the energy of, you know, a crew producing albums, because... I've had this conversation with many friends and, and people and nerding out about hip-hop and to this day I feel like the most classic albums always had one producer or a production team and besides, you know, Illmatic that came and kind of put the idea in everyone's head that, um, you know, you can use multiple producers, it's kind of hard to pull off. Ace has been one of the best at using a lot of producers and making a cohesive album, but for the most part, when I look at my favorite albums, it always had a RZA, Primo, P-Rock, you know, an Uma. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's the whole vibe with the drum majors. Marco, are you also um, staying in sample-based music or are you just trying to chop things up where it's yours? I mean, it's really difficult to get a record clear these days. Are you using track lib? Are you trying to do things that are a little outside of, I guess, the regular lane we always travel through? My whole thing is it never, unless I get a specific job, do I know off the bat it's an issue to use samples? Like, I don't really let it drive what I'm making, but I definitely have an arsenal of beats where, um, you know, there's no issues and they're licensable and there's no samples that I can't clear. You know, these days things have changed so much. You have all these musicians and sites doing sample packs where, you know, you're getting a lot of quality music that you can sample and not have to pay for it. So I have an arsenal of beats like that. I also have a lot of dope musician friends that play stuff for me and then I use it for the beats and I also play my own stuff. So I'm all over the place, but, but I'm always digging and still sampling and I'll never stop because that that inspires everything. That 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 inspires all these people trying to redo that sound is, is listening to old records. So, you know, um, I'm I got my hand in all all the pots. All right, look, you guys, you guys have given us an hour. Thank you for everything. Be on the lookout. It is November 9th, the drop of a Brooklyn story. Be on the lookout for the tour. The tour. When's this tour start exactly? Sorry, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. God bless right. the European market and the Japanese market, man. That is really that's like a four hour energy drink to hip hop. Like they fucking really, really supported and, and helped keep the you know the art form alive and. Obviously, you guys are staying busy touring over there. Maybe one day you guys come to South Florida, Absolutely. and we could uh, we can connect. But so best of luck to you. I can't wait to hear the album. I know it's going to be a, a banger. Thank you. We we uh, truly appreciate it, and good luck on the release. We'll all be buying it, listening, and promoting it. Thank you guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take Peace care. Bye bye. You're listening to a Brooklyn story with Master Ace and Marco Polo. On Take It Personal Radio. Yo, what's good, y'all? This is Master Ace, Brooklyn, New York, and you're tuned in to Take It Personal Radio. With my man Phil Flavor, Kevlar, Aaron Wade, DJ360, and of course, Roger the Announcer. You're a hip-hop, let's go. Check it out, this is Marco Polo, Toronto, Canada, Brooklyn, New York, drum majors, and you're checking out Take It Personal Radio. Yo, my cat's going crazy. My cat's going crazy. I had to mute, I had to mute the phone.